if you will, turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We have Bibles in the seat backs in front of you, so feel free to grab one of those. If there's not one in front of you, there's bound to be one in front of your neighbor. Feel free to ask them and get one if you do not have one. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 will be our verse for today. Our message is entitled, The Sanctity of Commitments. After Pastor did the first couple of weeks, or the fifth, fifth and sixth and seventh commandment, kind of did the sanctity thing, I decided to, to keep with the, the theme there. Uh, let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 17. Uh, we'll read all ten commandments today. And we'll get right into it. Starting in verse 1, chapter 20, it says this. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that, your, that the Lord your God has given you or is given you, excuse me. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. That is the word of the Lord. Let us pray before we get into our time today. Father, we come to you again thanking you for this day, thanking you for giving us this opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth through the singing, the prayers, uh, the reading of your word, and the proclamation of your word. We pray, Lord, that you bless this time, that your sheep hear your voice and they follow, that we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow after you, that that be the desire of our heart. I pray that my words are your words and then I stay out of the way in this time today. This is my prayer, and I ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this commandment here is about coveting. We, we, I'm, I'm sure we're all familiar with the Ten Commandments. And, and personally, before I did any kind of study in, in the Ten Commandments, I kind of lumped this in with the other uh, Six, six, seven, excuse me, five, six, seven, and eight, uh, and nine, the commandments, the ninth commandments, uh, to not lie, to cheat, to steal, to murder, and, and to covet. I just kind of assume we just don't do any of these things. But as I've studied this out, I've realized that coveting in general is not the problem. People say things like, I, I covet your prayers, right? And, and that's, a, that's a good thing. 
it, it would be a good thing to also say, well, I, I covet the salvation of my children, or I, I covet a deeper relationship with, with the Lord, or I covet peace in the midst of trials. These are, are good desires to have. And that's exactly what, what coveting is in and of itself. It is a, a strong desire. So if, if that is the case, if coveting in general isn't the problem, what is the problem? Well, the problem is when we covet anything that is our neighbor's. That is anything that is not mine or anything that has not been promised to me. Scripture tells us that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our hearts. Now, when we say that, we have to be careful because we have to consider the desires of our heart and, and this sinful flesh that we deal with. Uh, scripture tells us that sin is crouching at our doors, desire is for us, we must rule over it. There's always the, the, the outworking of, of sin that, that can uh, skew our view of what the desires that God has placed within our heart. So when it comes to coveting, just coveting in general, as we're saying, how can a man keep his way pure? Well, we hear in God's word by guarding it according to God's word. We must store up his word within our hearts so that we may not sin against him. We are not commanded to go through this life basing our life off of feelings and, and signs to show us which way is God is telling us to go. Uh, we have been told to seek God first, right, in his word, in prayer, and in his people. And with these things in mind, then we're able to see exactly what are the godly desires or what are the desires of our heart. Are they godly or are they ungodly? So we're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about that. Scripture talks about coveting uh, and, and, and how it's rooted ultimately in, in discontentment and then how godly desires are rooted in contentment. So we're going to talk about those two things and our sermon summary for today covers that. The sermon summary is this. It's found in, in 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 6 and 7. I figured God's word is the best way to come up with a sermon summary uh, because my own words pale in comparison. So it says this, the sermon summary for today. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out. All right. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out. So as we get into this time, I'm, I'm, it looks like there may be a, conf, a couple of confused looks out there as we're talking about coveting. Don't worry, we're going to talk about it. All right. Don't 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 toss me out the door yet. Um, but let's reread the verse and, and, and then get right into it. So it says this in verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So when we see this verse, it's it's safe to say Coveting, well, we're not to covet anything that is our neighbor's, right? His, his house, his servants, his wife, his car, his kids, his health, his wealth, his job, his intelligence, his talents, his good looks, his bank account, or anything else that we can possibly attribute to this neighbor, this person. This, and we know, as we know, neighbors are just every other human that walks the face of this earth, right? Not to covet anything that is theirs. You may ask yourself, why? We should always ask why. Why is this true? Because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
That is found in James 1. God is who he is, and he gives to all out of his wise counsel. And every gift given is good. It's, it's beneficial, and it's perfect for us. It is complete, which means every gift to our neighbor is perfect and beneficial to them, and the only reason they have it is because God saw fit to give it to them, which also means if God saw fit to give it to you or not, you would either have it or you wouldn't. Amen? Right? If you don't have it, it's because God has saw fit not to give it to you. Plain and simple. If your neighbor has it, it's because God saw fit to give it to them. So with that in mind, talking about coveting and seeing what your neighbor has, the, the thought came to my mind, well, what is wrong with seeing the way someone else lives their life and, and mimicking their, their attitude, right? If Man, I, I, I grew up with this guy, and, and he went to school, graduated, went to college, got a job, got married, had a successful life. All these things are good about his life. What's wrong with, with, with doing that, right? Paul says to imitate me as I imitate Christ. If, if, if he says that and, and I, I see this guy doing these things, what's wrong with me setting goals that are similar to the goals of this other person? Well, there's nothing wrong with setting goals or imitating people for the sake of being faithful to what God has called you to, the talents he's given you. That isn't the problem. The issue here is wanting what your neighbor already has. Right? When you see them and you're like, I want that. I, I want a wife that looks like that. I want a job that, uh, I want people to treat me the way they treat him. I want my kids to act the way that your kids act. I want my husband or wife to act the way that your husband or wife acts. I, I want that. That's what I want. I may not be willing to do what it takes to get it, but that's what I want. I want what you have. All right, so this is the problem. And you may not see yourself right in this you may you know it's me just saying this you may say you know that's that's I know somebody like that I know somebody like that they need to hear this right now that ain't me but I know somebody that needs to hear this right that may be where you are today but I want to ask you these questions and see if any of them sound like something you may say I'm not saying this is you but I'm going to say does this sound like something you may say right when and here, here are the questions I got a couple of them does it upset you when your husband or your wife uh, isn't like some of the other husbands or wives within the church? Right? You see them and you're like, why doesn't my husband do this? Why doesn't my wife do that? I, man, I, you, you cook and clean and, and wash the clothes and everything's laid out for your husband. You iron and all this. Why doesn't my wife do that? Right? I mean, are those things that you've asked yourself? Does this make you think less of your spouse? When you get on Facebook or any form of social media and you see the, the Facebook life that these people have, they're going on vacations, they're big, bright smiles, and everything seems to be working out for them. Do you, do you want that kind of life for yourself? Is that what you see and you're like, man, I wish, I wish we were that happy, or I wish we could go there, or I wish we could do this. Is, is that where you go? You see this Facebook life that they have and, and, and you want that. Or what about, what about this? This is a little harder. What if you or your family have, have gone through a, a tragedy in the last year, two years, five years? Uh, you've lost a loved one. You've, whatever. Something's happened tragic in your life. And you see someone else going through something similar, and, and they have a miraculous turn of events. Right? They don't lose their loved ones. Right? They, they don't lose their job. They don't separate in their marriage. Right? 
we, we've had a lot of things that have happened here in our church where people have lost loved ones, right? And, and then others who have not lost loved ones. They, they've taken uh, drugs or, or medications and things, and, and they've been healed from those things, right? And we look at those people. We could potentially look at them and, and say, well, why didn't God do that for me? Why, what's, what's different about me that, that's, that's not like them? I, I serve the same God. Why, why didn't we get this healing? Or why weren't we protected from that? Why did I lose my job? Why did I have to go through this? I, I, I thought I've done what I've, I thought I've been faithful in what God's given me. It's, it's tough, right? When we think about those things, there are things that we go through that we don't have answers for. Why, why, did, why did this happen? And I mean, it, it's always, it, it's tough. It's tough to think about those things. Something a little lighter, your neighbor or someone at church rolls up in a new car. You're like, another new car? Y'all just got one last year? Man, what's, I'm still driving this beater around. What's up with that? Like, I, I, I wish I had a new AC in my car and you got an all-new vehicle, right? I mean, that, that could be something that comes up. Or what if you're like me? Right. All these other things, they're me. I, I'm, I don't know about y'all, but they're me. I, I lump myself in there. But what if you're like me, where you have a past, a ton of regret, and you think about it like, why didn't God save me, and I praise him for that, but why didn't he save me sooner? He could have saved me through all these, this trouble that I went through. Why do I have to live with all this baggage that I now have? I have to think about these things as we go out or go here or there. There's triggers that remind me of those things that I've done in my past. And, and why, didn't, why didn't he save me sooner? If he was going to save me, why didn't he save me sooner? Why did he allow me to go through those things? These other people didn't have to go through them. They don't go through what I went through. Why? why? Why would God do that? These are questions that we ask ourselves. Why didn't he save me sooner? Right? These are, these are real questions that we have to ask ourselves. And if we're being honest with ourselves, and I want to be careful with this, I, these are questions, not always, but tend to be rooted in discontentment. They, they tend to be rooted in discontentment. I can't tell you every single time, but they tend to be rooted in discontentment. Now, what is discontentment? I'll give you my definition of discontentment. It is this, an unsettled feeling or state of mind with the current circumstances in which God has placed you. Right, and, and uns- it's like that pebble in your shoe that you can't find. Right? It is an unsettled feeling with the, or state of mind with the current circumstances in which God has placed you. So why is discontentment not okay? Because if we set goals and we're striving for those goals and, and we're struggling to get there, but we have those goals in mind when, when, when we're doing things, is that discontentment? No, that, that's persevering. Right? You persevere, you have a goal set, and I'm striving for that in the midst of the struggle I'm going for it, right? I have, I have lost sight of all things today. I'm pressing on to that goal, the prize that God has set before me, is what Paul says. That's perseverance, right? But what, so what's the difference between perseverance and, and discontentment? Well, discontentment is this. Discontentment is, once again, is that, that unsettled feeling, and it, then it leads us not to point back to Christ or to seek him in our time of need. It points us back to our circumstances or our feelings to find hope in. That's what discontentment does. We, we, are, we are there and we feel stuck. And discontentment ends up leading to complacency 
and bitterness. These are the two sides of discontentment. And so what is, what is complacency and what is discontentment? Complacency is that defeated spirit that tells you it'll never get better. This is as good as it gets. You might as well just grit your teeth and bear it. This is what life has in store for you. This is the hand you were dealt. You just got to deal with it. This, this is where you are. I'm not getting any better. What's bitterness? Bitterness is, is similar to this. Bitterness tells you you've been treated unfairly. You don't deserve this. And if only you had what you needed, you would have been better than where you are. You would be, you would be okay, right? If, if, only, if only God had given me what I needed to fight this battle, I'd be okay right now. That's bitterness, right? We have complacency and bitterness. Both of these are the fruit of discontentment. But both of these things, all of these things that we've mentioned are evil and wicked thoughts that pervert the truth that we see in Scripture. Right, scripture is our, our source of hope. That's what, that's what God has given us for this life and godliness. Right? When we look at this world that we have, there's a lot of broken, fallen things that don't always work out right. But God is the, our one source of hope. And these things, complacency and bitterness, are opposed to the truths of Scripture. And I want to, tell, I want to give you a scripture to, to, to confirm that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10 through 10. This is after Paul has given this vision of the third heaven. He's called up to the third heaven, and he sees these miraculous things. Uh, this, this is the context in which these verses are given. Listen to what, he, what Paul says. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Other translations say to torment me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. This is Paul, an apostle who's seen people healed, right? He was able to uh, rebuke demons, exercise demons out of people, see people healed. He, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. This is Paul. He's pleading with God, pled with him three times, pleaded with him three times about that, that it should leave him, that it would be removed from him. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of, of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I'm strong when I have no other option, when my hands are tied, when all chips are stacked against me. When I am weak, then I am strong. This doesn't sound like Paul is bitter, discontent, or complacent with his lot in life. Rather, he has embraced the grace that God has given him. His grace is sufficient. There was a desire to see these things removed from him. Right? He, he coveted this torment to be removed from him. This is what he had the desire for that, and it wasn't an ungodly desire, right? That's what he wanted. He wanted this to be removed from him. So what we see is it's never wrong for us to pray to God for issues to be resolved in our lives. That, that's not the problem. That is not the problem for us. But if the answer is no, right, if we're praying for this to be removed, if we're praying, why did you do this, or whatever the question is, if the answer is no, it's, not, it's a negative, not an affirmative for us. We must find contentment in the life that God has called us to. 
So to bring the discontentment discussion full circle, I, I want to share this with you. Our issue is not with others being more blessed than us, but us taking our focus off of Christ and all the good gifts that he's given us for our life and only focusing on the wants that we think will make us content. Let me say that again. Our issue is not with others being blessed more than us, but us taking our focus off of Christ and all the good gifts he's given us for our life and only focusing on the wants that we think will make us content. If discontentment, bitterness, and covetousness of what God has given us in comparison to what he's given others is what is forbidden, is what violates this commandment, what is required of us by this commandment? This has been the ongoing theme with these commandments. What is forbidden? What violates this commandment? And what is commanded of us? What are we required to do? If this is the line that God has drawn and we don't go beyond that, what are we commanded to do within the realm of what he's called us to? Well, if we're not to be discontent, we are to be content, right? Pretty simple. So what was our sermon summary? It is godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world all right so with that in mind what is contentment contentment is the acceptance of blessings and trials God has brought to pass in our lives it is the acceptance the understanding of the blessings and the trials God has brought to pass in our lives when we consider everything that we've been through up until this point everything that God has got, God brought us through, the blessings and the trials, all of these things have allowed us to grow in our faith, have humbled us to rely on the Holy Spirit more, have allowed us to be a testimony to others uh, that are going through similar trials or struggles in their life. All of these things have purpose. Right? Everything that we've been through, the good, bad, the ugly, the embarrassing, all of it has a purpose. God is using all of it for our good now where we lose sight of contentment is just like we tend to pray and say you know what I need to be more patient I need to be kinder to people I need to you know we, we say all these things right I need to stop arguing so much and a lot of that is rooted in us trying to derive these things from our own strength like I, I can do this on my own uh, I'm gonna, I want to do this to show God that, that I'm really his, right? That, that, that's the perspective and the outlook we tend to take. But what I want to tell you today is contentment is a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer, nothing else. If you don't have the spirit dwelling within you, you cannot be content ever. I don't care what any other religion says. They, they've reached some level of enlightenment or whatever. They're, they're not at peace with God. There is no way they can find true contentment. Contentment only comes from God. That's it. It is the peace that surpasses all understanding. It is the joy that is unspeakable. It is the spirit of power and love and sound mind that grants you the ability to not give into bitterness, to rejoice with those who rejoice, and to comfort those who are going through trials that may seem minor or even petty compared to the things that you're going through. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The ability to exercise a Christ-like attitude in the midst of your own struggles is great gain. Let me say that again. The ability to exercise a Christ-like attitude in the midst of your own struggles 
is great gain. But we cannot forget where this strength comes from. What did Paul say? In my weakness, he is strong. His power is made perfect in my weakness. Not in my stubbornness, not in my fortitude, my hard-headedness, the, the, the strength that I have to do things in this life, but in my complete reliance and faith in Christ. In that and in that alone. So if I am told to not covet my neighbor's anything, and this is discontentment, what am I to covet? If I'm not to covet his things, what, 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 what can I covet? What am I able to covet in contentment? Right? If, if it's not coveting his thing, that's what the verse says, not to covet your neighbor's stuff or state in life, not to co- covet that. What is, what is the, the opposite of that? What, is, what am I to do in contrast of that? Well, when we, we find our desires or our coveting in line with what God has promised us, that's how we covet properly. That's how we covet in contentment. And if you think about that, what has God promised us? He's promised us love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, forgiveness, deliverance, strength, safety, provision, guidance, counsel, help, wisdom, and our sanctification. There's many others, but all of these things God has promised us promises these things thank you lord is right we can also covet a greater desire or excuse me a greater understanding of god right god help me understand your sovereignty your compassion your righteousness your supremacy your holiness your power your eternality your authority your advocacy your eminence or anything else that he has revealed of himself in his word Show me those things, God. Let me read your word. Sanctify me in your word. Your word is truth. Do these things for me. You can covet those things. You can desire those things. You can pray for those things. What God has promised for each of his children, whatever he's promised, he always answers those prayers, yes and amen. But, but, there's a but. We have not because we ask not. Have not because we ask not. Plain and simple. That's what, the, that's what the word says. So I ask you, why are you not content with your life? What are the things in your life that make you discontent? Have you prayed to God to help you in your time of weakness? Have you prayed to God to help you to rely on his Holy Spirit to work in you a desire to be more loving, more joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good to others, faithful in all that you do, gentle to those who rub you the wrong way, or controlled when anger wants to rise up within you. You have not because you ask not. If you're not content, it's not because God is withholding anything from you. If you're only complaining about what you don't have instead of embracing all that God has given you, sounds like there's more than just a contentment problem. Now, as we close out our time with the Ten Commandments, they, all the Ten Commandments, they, they reflect God's character. 
is, is what they do. We, we see that through all of them. But the first and the tenth commandment kind of serve as bookends and, and kind of, they, they, they summarize everything in between them, is, is in essence what they do. Now, I, I want to share with you why that is. The, the first commandment says God is God and you need to worship him as such. The tenth commandment says your heart is what the problem is. You need to worship God for who he is. They, 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 and, it, and it filters through all of them. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to give you some examples. We're going to walk through the ten real quick. Real quick. <laughs> Be content with what you're getting right now, all right? <laughs> so here we go. If you had no other gods before him, you'd be too consumed with God's goodness that you wouldn't have time to look at what your neighbor has because you realize that God was enough and wouldn't have violated the first commandment. If you hadn't carved out an image, God's own image of yourself, uh, or excuse me, if you hadn't carved out for yourself an image of God who he should be, and you'd focus on the one true God uh, and would be worshiping him for who he is, uh, not who you've made him to be, you wouldn't have violated the second commandment. If you revered his name and didn't use it in vain, you would recognize that what he has spoken in his word is sufficient, and even a misguided thought about God violates the third commandment. If you had rested, him, rested in him on the, third, on the Lord's day and worshipped him in spirit and in truth, you'd have renewed your mind to know the will of God, which is your sanctification, is sometimes brought about by suffering and not having all the things that your neighbor has, which violates the fourth commandment. If you had honored your mother and father, you wouldn't have time to look at other parents and how, they, how better they raised their kids than your parents did you, and you wouldn't have violated the fifth commandment. If you, had got, if you hadn't got jealous and coveted the things that your neighbor has, you wouldn't have been angry uh, with him and committed murder in your heart, violating the sixth commandment. If you had focused all your attention on your spouse instead of that TV screen, that cell phone, the magazine, the computer screen, or just any other person passing by, lusting after them, coveting after them, and not, your, and not giving that attention to your spouse, you wouldn't have committed adultery in your heart and violated the seventh commandment. The eighth commandment is stealing. This is a direct outworking of a covetous heart. You saw it, someone else had it, and you took it from them. That violates the Eighth Commandment. Bearing false witness is coveting justice on someone when vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and you decide to slander, gossip, or speak poorly about someone in a way that does not build them up but tears them down, and therefore you violated the Ninth Commandment. So as we close our time here, uh, something to remember, like we said, it's the heart that God looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. He looks at the outward works, but it's the Lord who looks at the heart. Right? You can't fool God with what, with what you do. The heart is where we find either contentment or discontentment. We cannot fake contentment before the Lord because it is found only in him, because it is a work of his Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. I wanted to close by reading the entire chapter four of Philippians, but because um, it's so good, it's so good, so good. Uh, but 
I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that for y'all. I'm just going to tell y'all, go read it, right? Uh, but I, what I will read is verses 10 through 13 and verses 19 and 20. I think these summarize that chapter fairly well. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13 and verses 19 through 20. It says this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, why is this true? Why does Paul, why can he write these words and and trust that God is going to do this? Excuse me. Verse 19 and 20 says this. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray.